Well, many of you know my story, and you know that I grew up as the son of a preacher on the south side of Chicago. Uh, My parents, when I was very young, planted a full gospel church out of a larger full gospel church, and they planted a church in the local YMCA that was just literally about two blocks from our house. Well, the thing about that was that, you know, pastors, especially struggling church planters that didn't plant with a team or anything like that, they don't tend to have lots and lots of money. So we grew up really kind of struggling financially. We didn't necessarily have much, and we were kind of aware that we didn't have much, but we had a really tight-knit family, and life was good for us. But we just realized that we didn't have a whole lot of money, a whole lot of resource. And one of the downsides to not having a whole lot of money and resource is that when stuff would break, it would just kind of stay broken for a while. Um, so... You know, one of the one of the ways this played out is that our house just over time just became very, became very raggedy. You know, things would break and things would break down because we didn't have the money to fix them. So we just learned to deal with it, and it wasn't uncommon for you know you know the ceiling to develop holes in it, or for the walls you know to be a hole in the drywall. Or I just remember for a long period of time growing up, there was just like no heat in our house, and my dad literally had to you know, heat our house with, uh, with the oven, which is very creative, but very dangerous way to heat a house. And of course, um, there was long stretches of time where we didn't necessarily have hot water in our house. Just all these things would just begin to break down. And we just really just sort of watched our poor little house just crumble before our eyes. But one of the unique things that I always remember about that house is that, you know, we just could not keep people out of our house. <laughs> People were always wanting to come over to our house. People were always asking their parents if they could sleep over at our house. And if you ever had something unflattering about your house, you're very conscious of its brokenness or, you know, how it looks. And just I remember all these people always being in our house, and I just always remember being very aware that our house was less than ideal. And I would often wonder, why don't we go to your house? You know, you've got (laughs) running water and heat and air conditioning and like the walls are you know there let's go to your house but we just absolutely could not keep people out of our house and I think one of the reasons that was is because that no matter how raggedy our house was and no matter what we had to do without because of lack of resource we always had a great amount of love we always had a really strong connection between our siblings and our parents there was just so much love in that house There was so much functionality in that house. My parents saw to it that we weren't always arguing and bickering, that we treated each other exceptionally well. So there was always this sense of goodwill in our house, and I just thought that it was especially contagious. It was especially welcome, and people weren't drawn to our house because of our opulence and how fancy the place was, but people just could not stay away from our house because there was just so much love and so much radical welcome there, and they really got the sense that we loved one another and that we would love people once they would get there, and I just really think about that, and I really long for that to be how this church is. I'm not talking about the raggedy part. I always want to have a nice place for people to come and worship, but I always want this to be a place where people just cannot stay away from. When they come into this place and they taste and see of the goodness of God, they know the Spirit is alive here and the presence of God is alive here, and they just observe how we love one another and how we treat one another. They just say, man, i got to go back to that place. I wonder how they do it. I wonder what their secret is, and that's my vision, that's my 
hope and that's my dream that the Lord gave me for this place. I have the privilege this morning of beginning a brand new sermon series this morning that we're simply calling Focus. Simply calling this series Focus. And I love the quote from the Chinese teacher and philosopher Confucius. He says this, a person that chases two rabbits catches neither. That that quote has been evolved to say, a man that chases two rabbits goes hungry. And what the point of that quote is, is this, if we have a divided focus and we're chasing after a whole lot of different things, we're not going to catch any of those things. Or we're going to do a bunch of things poorly, but if we chase after one thing or we chase after a few things or we sharpen our focus to a couple of significant things, we have a greater chance of not only achieving that, but achieving it with great success. So that's kind of one of the, the reasoning and the rationale behind this series. The Lord has given me just a desire to do just a few things very, very well. A few essential things, especially as it relates to community life, to do it very, very well. And I'm just going to spend the next four or five weeks outlining the things that I think are very significant for us, things that we're supposed to focus on, things that we're supposed to zero in on so that we can be successful in this next season of life. God has promised us a fantastic year, and it has been a fantastic year. And as we go into the fall where things start to settle down a little bit and people start to get out of their vacation rotation and they start to really refocus on the staples in their life, I think it's going to be really important for the core people that call this church home to really hone in on a few significant things so that we can lead this church into the direction that God will cause us to go. So that's kind of the basis of this series. We're going to drive this place into a healthy place so that those that sort of attach along the way can, can, can plug into something that's moving in a, in, a, in, a, in a decisive direction. Does that make sense? So if you look in your bulletins, each and every week it has there listed our mission and our vision. And these statements just give you a, 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 just a bold snapshot of who we are what we're doing, why we're, you know, what we're up to here. And basically, I've, the vision that God gave me long, long, long ago was just to build a big, multicultural, multi-ethnic, church-planting church that reproduces itself, that ministers to this community with, with love and compassion, right? And we envision this place to be a place where not just Christians come and just sort of nurture each other, but a place where people can come. They have no grid for church. They have no grid for the gospel whatsoever. We want to build a place like that for all sorts of people so that no matter where, no matter where you are, whatever place and station of life you find yourself at, that you can come into the South Suburban Vineyard and say, listen, there's a place for me there. That's the vision that God gave us long ago. And that's what we've been working towards for the last four plus years. But I think if we're going to accomplish that goal, especially if we're going to accomplish it in this season, I think there's a handful of things that we really need to focus on. A handful of things that we really need to lean into in order to do that with any success. So I just want to define for us who this series is for. Who this series is for. This information that I'm going to give you over the next few weeks, who is this for? Well, the short answer is it's for everybody, right? Everybody, no matter where you are on the spectrum, I think it's helpful and sometimes necessary for you to get a picture, for you to get a glimpse of what true Christian community looks like. What a healthy, solid, Christ-centered Christian community looks like. So in that way, this series is for everybody. But this series is specifically for the individuals or the families that call this place home or call this home for now. 
So if this is your home, if this is what you're settling into, if this is, you said, this is my tribe, this is my clan, I'm a vineyard person, I'm going to plant some roots down in the South Suburban Vineyard Church, then this series is especially for you, and it might be helpful for you to lean in today to really take this uh, into consideration. Also, if you're a visitor today, this series is for you because all of this information is highly transferable. In other words, you can take these principles, you can take this stuff and just apply it to wherever you call home, wherever your house of worship is, wherever you committed and wherever, wherever you're putting down roots, this stuff is for you. So this really is for everybody, but it's especially for the people that call this place home. I mentioned earlier that there are a handful of things that we have to get right, we have to focus on, and the one thing that I want to focus on as I open this series is I'm just simply calling this message a heart for the house, a heart for the house. And if you need a definition for that word house there, we don't necessarily mean this building or this particular place of worship, but when I say house, I mean this particular community of faith, this body of believers, a heart for this place. And wherever you go to church, a heart for that place. Or whatever your home church is, a heart for that place. But I find that very little will happen of any significance if the people that call a specific church home don't develop a heart or a love or a passion or a deep connection for that particular house. I've seen very little happen when the collective body doesn't have a heart. They're not passionate. They're not committed to the house of worship that God has called them to. And it's for that reason that I want to start here today with a message that I'm calling a heart for the house. I've been around church my, almost my entire life. I've seen churches get started and I've seen them close. And I've never seen a church or a church body thrive without people being just hopelessly connected to the mission and the vision of that house. I've never seen it. And today I want to do two very important things. I want to look at a passage of Scripture that really gives us a great snapshot of a great, healthy Christian community. And I want to get super practical today about what this is going to look like for us. So when I look at a passage of Scripture, I want to get super practical about what this looks like today. So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2, if you want to pull your phones out. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. We'll start at verse 42. Some of you missed that. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let me, let me open the word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for this community. I thank you so much for these people who have gathered here. They didn't come to see the preacher, Lord. They didn't come to hear the music, but they came to worship you and to hear what you would have to say to them today, to hear what you have to speak to them today, Father. And I know that the people that are sitting here today are the people who you've tailored this message for. And I know that this message is tailored also for those who are listening to the sound of my voice through the podcast or through our website. So I pray that you would put power on these words, that this would be a hopeful message, that it would challenge us, but it would also encourage us to be the people that you've called us to do. Lord, would you carve out in us a heart for this house, a heart for the mission and the vision of this church, where we're headed and where we're going, Lord? Would you just put power on these words today? Would you move me out of the way? so that your truth and your love, and more importantly, your grace would shine through. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 42. I think it's important, especially just to kind of locate where we are in the scriptures here. I think it's really important to understand where the book of Acts is situated in the Bible. 
and in the grand scheme of the story of the Bible, the, 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 the book of Acts is situated in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, the New Testament opens with the Gospels, right? And this is just the story of Jesus' life. We see Jesus' ministry begin. We see the works he did. We see him discipling his guys, right? We also see Jesus. He's, to- he's tortured. He's crucified. He's buried. But he rose again to life, right? We see the story of Jesus in the Gospels. And Jesus gives his guys their commission. He sends them out to do wonderful things, right? So then you, you get that, that, that transitions into the book of Acts. And on the other side of Acts are the, uh, the, the letters uh, to the churches. And we see the church is getting, getting started and uh, Paul is writing these letters to the churches. And then we see the epistle, then we see uh, revelations. But what sits in between these letters that uh, Paul writes to the church and the gospels where Jesus is doing his business and sending out his uh, disciples is, listen, in the middle of that is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a story of the early church. It's how the church, how Christians responded to the life and the ministry and, more importantly, the commission that Jesus gave them. So this is the situation that we have right here in Acts chapter 2. And just a few verses earlier, we see that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. Jesus had promised that he would send a helper, he would send the Holy Spirit, and just that, that happened. Holy Spirit fell on the people. They were very, very encouraged, and now they're ready to do business, right? So this early church starts to bud up, and this is where we encounter the story in Acts chapter 2. We start at verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord had added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's one of my favorite passages because this is a fantastic snapshot, fantastic snapshot of a great, healthy church. Preachers read this verse and they get really excited. They almost start to long and covet this type of a congregation because it's such a fantastic picture of what a healthy church looks like. I often say that I want, I want to pastor a church like this. In many ways, I, I do pastor a church like this, but we, we've got a ways to go, which is why I'm talking about this today. But this is a perfect snapshot of a great, not perfect, I'm sorry, not perfect, but not perfect, but a great church. And it's a great example for us and Christians all over the world to follow. And some of the things that we need to pick up on that, uh, that makes this such a fantastic community of faith is that these were extremely devoted people. They were devoted. And the word devote just means to give all or a large part of one's time or resource to a person, activity, or cause. Devotion is defined as love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. And this is what was one of the defining characteristics of this church is that they were extremely, they were extremely devoted. And one of the interesting parts of this is that they were extremely devoted to something and someone other than themselves. I think that's the problem with our culture. We lack commitment. We lack enthusiasm for anything unless it directly benefits us, unless it directly impacts us. 
Unless it directly, you know, moves us and, and helps us and impacts us, we just tend to, generally speaking, lack motivation, lack enthusiasm, lack devotion toward things. We're a uh, uh, culture that really sort of moves away from commitment. And it's a sad thing. Because I think one of the greatest marks of maturity is when a person can get to the place where they realize that it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. I don't know if anybody ever told you that, but it's not about you. And you would think that that would just sort of be common knowledge. And you hear lots of people say that, but they certainly don't live like it. And I think one of, my, one of the things I spend most of my time doing as I just pastor people one-on-one or even as I stand up to preach is driving home this message, finding different and creative ways to express and to communicate that it's not about you. You will struggle your whole life to be devoted to things and causes that are noble if you don't figure out that it's not about you. I spend a great deal of time working with my now three sons. You know, my uh, youngest one is just a baby, so he doesn't care any, about anything I have to say. But those other two that I have that are very alert and interested in what I have to say, one of the main things that I try to teach them on a daily basis is, listen, boy, it's not about you. There's other people on the planet. This is not revolving around you today. So you won't interrupt me when I'm speaking because it's not about you. Something's on fire and there's an emergency. You can break in, but it's not about you. You won't throw tantrums and act a fool because it's not about you. You don't walk around here with an attitude slamming doors because you didn't pay for any of that stuff. This is not about you. It's not about you. And if you don't teach kids that, then they grow up to adults <laughs> that don't realize that life is not about them. So we're talking about devotion. This was the defining characteristic of this healthy church that was made up of healthy individuals that were just going for it, that were devoted. And some of us have a problem with this. We don't contribute to the things that we attach ourselves to because we, we've figured out that life just needs to be arranged, so we just make this nest for ourselves. And we use all sorts of material that God has given us to bless and to sow into. Instead of blessing that stuff and sowing into it, we use that stuff and we use those people and we use those resources to just build for us the most cushiony nest that we can fashion. And God gave you a wife or a husband to love them and to respect them and to help them. And what you've done is you've placed them in your nest to, so that, you know, they are just they're comfortable for you. God gave you gifts and talents to bless this world and to bless this community. But what you did is you used those gifts and talents, just made a nest for yourself. And then you try to take God and you try to put him in your nest and put him in there just right so that there's more cushion for you. And you try to take the church that you were designed to come and contribute to and help build. You take that and what we try to do, all of us try to do is just fashion the church around us so that we just got this nest that we can just nestle into. That we can, we can just put the church just right, you know, right under our left lat here. That would really just make us really comfortable. And that's not what this church did. They were devoted to the cause. To the, they were devoted 
to what made this thing tick. They were devoted. And what did they devote themselves to? I think there's four things that we see here in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those are four very powerful things. First thing we see is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, a lot of preachers get this wrong. They try to get people to devote themselves to them. It doesn't say they devoted themselves to the apostles. It said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the cause to which the apostles had connected themselves to. That's very important. I had a guy come up to me years ago. He was interested in the church. He said, listen, I was sitting down at lunch. He said, listen, man, listen, I love this church. Dude, I just want, I want to be your armor bearer. Dude, I just, I just want to, I said, listen, man, I don't need any armor bearer. I can carry my own bag. I can get my own water. I can wipe my own face. I need some partners in ministry. I need some folks who are going to get connected to this vision and help me walk this thing out. I don't need anybody carrying my stuff. I don't want you devoting yourself to me. I don't want your allegiance and your loyalty to me. I want your allegiance and your loyalty to the kingdom stuff, to the cause of Christ, to the message, the stuff that I get up and speak about and I preach about, which I don't develop for my own stuff. I get it from the Scripture. So one of the main things, man, these guys were devoted to, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, him crucified, him risen, his standards, his call. They were devoted to this stuff. They believed in it. It made sense to them. Something came alive in them when they heard the the gospel. As far-fetched as it was and as radical as it was and as even at this point as dangerous as it was to be connected to Christians and the cause of Christ, something came alive in them when they heard the gospel message. And they said, yeah, at great cost to me, I'm going to attach myself to that. These apostles, they're making lots of sense. They're making a lot of sense. Something's coming alive in me. I'm going I'm to devote myself to these teachings. Because it's the real deal. There's some power in it. I mean, you know, when you devote yourself to the teachings of the gospel, that it's going to add some stuff to your life. And how many of you know that adding stuff requires that you take some stuff out of your life? You think you're going to engage the gospel and keep everything the same? Keep the same relationships that you've had? Keep the same hurts and habits that you've had? Keep the same exact lifestyle? No, the gospel comes and it engages us and it causes us to cut some things and it causes us to, to add some things. And many of us find that there's few things that we've actually been allowed to keep since we've engaged the gospel. But these guys devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What else did they devote themselves to? They have devoted themselves to fellowship. To fellowship. Listen, they actually got in the habit of meeting every once in a while with one another. They worshiped together. Scripture says daily they worshiped together at the temple. They met together in people's houses for meal. They partook in the Lord's Supper. They hung out with each other. They did life together. Listen, these weren't freelance, you know, lone ranger Christians who decided that they would just sort of come in and dabble and get a little nip whenever they needed a taste. Or they come to church when they, you know, when they felt like it. Or they fellowship with one another when it, when it suited them, when they could squeeze it in. Now they said, this is, this is who we are now. This is part of what it means to be devoted to the cause of Christ, to be connected to God and his people. Fellowship 
is vitally important. And they devoted themselves. They were enthusiastic about it. They were regular about it. And I think there's a fantastic and, and profound correlation to fellowshipping and just wholeness and, and, and functionality in your life. And one of the main things that the enemy would love to rob you of is fellowship. One of the main things that he would have you thinking is optional is fellowshipping with one another. And then he disguises this whole idea. He calls, what, he, what, what Satan calls, is fel- calls fellowship is something that's really distorted. This sort of self-serving fellowship that says, I'll go when I need something. I'll go and I'll engage people when I have a need. I'll talk to people when, when, when I can get something from them or when I, you know, when I need them for something. That's really a distortion. It's really a distortion. And a lot of people get this mixed up because fellowship is a mutual exchange of good stuff. A mutual exchange. And if you find that your fellowship is only one-sided, it's only one way, then there's something broken about that. That's not a devotion to fellowship. That's not you leaning into fellowship. A fellowship is a discipline, especially if you're not used to fellowshipping with people. And I have, to really, I have to really check myself as a pastor because I grew up in church. I grew up in church my whole life. We had multiple services a week. There was always something going on, always some people in my house. I'm very acquainted with the essential nature of fellowship. But I have to remember that many people aren't. And for those of you that aren't, for whatever reason, you have to adopt this as a discipline at first. And it's just like working out. If you're not used to working out, listen, it's really uncomfortable to be breathing that hard all the time (laughs) and to have sweat pouring from every possible place, right? And to have your muscles and your joints and your bones ache, that's uncomfortable until you do it all the time. And this is why I say fellowship is a discipline. If we see this as something that's optional, if you see this as something that we don't have to be devoted to, man, we're really going to suffer. And Satan loves to get you alone. He does his best work when you're alone. He does his best work when you're somewhere in a corner licking your wounds and just wondering how, you know, just, just milling over how miserable life is and how nobody likes you and how nobody called you in a while. He loves, he does his best work there. But these folks, they understood the importance and the significance of fellowship, worshiping together, hanging out together, having fun together. They also devoted themselves to sharing. And when you look at this early church, one of the distinguishing marks of a, of a healthy church and of a healthy body of people is just it's an undercurrent of selflessness that runs throughout the thing. An undercurrent of selflessness that runs throughout the thing. Because people have figured out that they're here not for themselves. They're here not for themselves, but to serve God and to serve others. How can you take that message in? How can you internalize that? How can you lean into that? How can you be devoted to that reality and still be selfish? And still have the whole essence of who you are and the decisions that you make and the way you interact with people be selfish and self-serving? How can you have taken in what your genuine purpose is in life, which is to love God and love people? But these guys devoted themselves to sharing this undercurrent of selflessness that ran throughout this thing, so much so that they shared their stuff at great personal cost to them. 
And I would go as far as to say it's not sharing unless it costs you something. It's not sharing unless it costs you something. I say to my boy, I say, listen, give your brother some of that. And he picks up the little piece he dropped, you know, five minutes ago, and three people have stepped on it. He goes, here, you can have this. I said, no. You break him off a piece of that, and he breaks off the piece, and he tries to give him the shorter piece. No, you give him the bigger piece. It's got to cost you something. Sharing, right? And some of us didn't learn this. Some of us weren't forced to learn this as a child. And some of us weren't forced to learn this in our, in our, in our, in our, in our upbringing. So when we wander into the church, we, we just feel like, hey, you know, let me see if this suits me. Let me see if this thing is going to cater to me. Let me see if I can use this in my nest to make it more comfortable for me. But I'm telling you, devotion to this thing means devotion to sharing and the type of sharing that's going to cost you something. It's going to put you out sometimes. You might get the short end of the stick sometimes. You might walk away with a smaller pile. But they devoted themselves to sharing at great cost to themselves. They also devoted themselves to prayer. And let me tell you this. You heard me say this often, that nothing significant has ever happened in the history of, Christian, uh, of Christianity, in the history of the church, without a movement of prayer without God's people getting together and saying, unless we pause and take some time to, to speak to God and to cry out to him for what he called us to do and for what we want to see done in the earth and for the people that don't know him and for the people that are broken and for the people that need healing and for the people that need help, unless we carve out some time to pray, to get together with one another and to seek God's face. I'm not talking about the multitasking, you know, I'm in rush hour prayer. I'm not talking about the brush my teeth prayer where I'm in the show. I'm talking about, say, listen, somebody call a prayer meeting. Meet me down at the church. Get the guitar. We're going to have some worship before that, and we're going to pray together. We're going to seek God's face. And we're not just going to tell God what we want from him. We're not just going to hand him our Christmas list, but we're going to seek his face. We're going to thank him. We're going to figure out what he wants us to do. This is at the very beginning of things when opposition was crazy against the Christian church. It wasn't a popular thing to do. Christianity wasn't just some accessory that you added to your life. This was who you were. This was who you are. And these people understood they're going to get anything done in the name of Jesus. For the sake of the kingdom, they were going to have to be a people of prayer. They voted themselves to prayer. And the collective, you know, piecing together of all these elements and the single-minded, unified devotion that these people had... It was, it was remarkable. And when we survey this, even within the, you know, the bookends of these few verses, we ask, how did that work out for them? Well, the, the author tells us here how that worked out for them. They were very, very fruitful. They were very, very fruitful. So if you're wondering, man, what do we need to do in order to be a successful, fruitful church? Listen, let's, man, we got to really sit down and think about this. No, don't, you don't have to think about it. There's a template right there. There's a template right there. And we see that this was a very, very fruitful church. And let's look at some of the fruit that came of it. Verse 43 says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's unfruitfulness. That's fruitfulness. 
That's the type of fruitfulness that I want to see in this community of faith. We're four years into this thing, but I want, we can have this, folks. What's the fruit that was growing on this tree? The first thing in Scripture tells us that there was a sense of awe that came over the people. And awe is just simply a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wondering. As these guys leaned into the essential components of faith and the essential components of Christian community, a sense of awe came over them. There was just a wonder and amazement at what God was doing among them. When they encountered the Gospels and the stories, no doubt, of who Jesus was and what he'd done, when they saw the stuff that was happening as a result of their devotion, just a, there, was a, there was a sense of awe that came over them, of reverential uh, sort of respect and understanding that what they had was precious, that what they had was powerful, and they dare not take it lightly. They dare not trample it underfoot. They dare not uh, abuse it. A sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a fear and a reverence for the things of God and the things surrounding the kingdom. Listen, that was one of the fruit of their leaning in. And listen, I feel like, man, if we lean into these things, we would just develop a sense of awe versus having just this sort of casual approach to faith, a casual approach to Christian community. Oh, just kind of, oh, I guess I'll go today. Is there a football game on? Let me check the you know, TV guide and see what's on. I was up kind of late last night. Maybe I was, I don't know. On prayer, that's, you know, 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. That's, this is my day off. I'm just, eh. Oh, that's not a sense of awe. A sense of awe is God is doing something, and I dare not miss it. God's people are assembled. There's an outreach to there. Man, I, I, I want to be part of that. There's a sense of a wonder and amazement. Listen, I've been to places where God is doing stuff. I want to be there again to see some cooler stuff happening. A sense of awe and amazement. We take it seriously. That's one of the fruit that we saw. They also saw signs, wonders, and miracles. This is fantastic stuff. Listen, I've seen some stories in my lifetime. I've seen some signs, wonders, and miracles in my lifetime. It's been fantastic. I've not seen nearly as many as I want to see. And I just know that there's a curious connection between us going after it and us seeing the stuff happen. There's a curious connection to the number of times we pray for strangers and pray for healing and the number of times that we see things happen. There's there's a strange, uh, unexplainable connection to those things. But we see it as people lean into these things. We see signs, wonders, and miracles. Apostles working miracles. People get healed. People get restored. People being delivered. This is some of the fruit that was growing on the tree of this church that leaned into all these significant things. And one of the more obvious signs is just there was an increase in numbers. More people were added to the church. Now, that's really exciting, right? Especially if you're a church planter trying to get this thing off the ground, you've given your life to something, man. You say, okay, what's the secret to growth? You know, what do I got to buy? What program, what seminar do I need to go uh, to, to, to get this thing to take off, right? But when I look in the pages of these faithful scriptures, I see that if I can just get our people to lean into the essential elements of the faith, the essential elements of Christian community, listen, healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. And one of the marks of this Christian community is people on the outside could not understand the love that people had for one another. 
They could not understand this undercurrent of selflessness and generosity. Just could not understand it, and they were curious. This can't be true. People can't be getting healed and stuff. Blind eyes open, what? Wait, they sold their stuff so that you can eat? Who are these crazy people? Let me go over there and check it out. And the curiosity led to people joining and saying, listen, this stuff is fantastic. This Jesus is the real deal. He's not the crazy man that I've been hearing, he, uh, hearing about. You know, this guy's the real deal. And numerical growth was the fruit of these guys leaning into this stuff and taking it seriously. And guess what? We have to ask ourselves the question, what, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us, the South Suburban Vineyard Church? If we want to take this stuff and apply it, what does it mean for us? First, we have to understand that a church is a collection of individuals. We're not selfishly looking at this thing, but we're realistically looking at it. This is a body of people that's composed of individuals. And if the individuals are not healthy, the church will not be healthy. The collective body will not be healthy. If the individuals don't have the right outlook on the thing, then the church body won't have the right outlook. So we do have to break this thing down at some point and examine our individual efforts, our individual contribution, our individual approach to how we do life in a community of faith like this. So what does this mean for us? I think as we all examine our hearts and all examine ourselves, we have to ask ourselves a bunch of questions, really, but one of the faithful questions that really rise to the top of what we have to ask ourselves is this. What do we get when we get you? What does the church get when they get you? David has to say, no, what is the church getting out of me? I don't mean in a selfish, sort of self-serving way, or in a way that causes you to pat yourself on the back. But what do we get when we get you? Some of you, if you would answer honestly, you'd, you'd say a church gets a headache when they get you. Some people interact with people all the time who are telling me their horror stories about the last five churches they've left. And they're not making the connection that, listen, every, this is sort of following you around. Now, what are the odds that every single church is crazy? <laughs> and every single church you've been to in different states <laughs> has mistreated you. What are the odds? It's possible, but it's not likely. Okay? It's following you around. But what do we get when we get you? I think this is a very important question to ask in every aspect of your life, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, your job, your school. What do I bring to the table? But it's especially necessary when we approach the kingdom, when we approach the church. What do we get when we get you? What do you bring to the table? Let me tell you something. I work really hard in my life not to be involved in anything that's one-sided, especially anything where I'm only taking from something. Listen, a lot of people got really comfortable just taking. Just bring that just taking, just gimme sort of mentality to everything they do. And that's why the marriage is jacked up. The relationships are all blown up. That's why they get nothing at all out of the Christian community because they approach it like they're going into jewels. I'm here to get some lettuce. I'm here to get some cheese and some grapes. And if they don't have that stuff, I'm really disappointed. Well, coming to church that way. And Jesus asks us, what, what, what do you bring to the party? What are you coming with? What do we get 
when we get you? What do we get when we get you? In other words, what would happen if you didn't show up for a while? I'm going to say something that's very important for you to hear right now. Some folks could miss a whole year. And if it weren't for the fact that we love you and we care about you and we actually like you and we miss you, we wouldn't miss a beat. We wouldn't have to scramble to sort of, you know, make up for the the lost offerings because, you know, you left such a hole. We wouldn't have to scramble to reschedule somebody for the places where you served because you don't serve anywhere. Listen, you ought to be hard to miss. There ought to be a hole when you leave. There ought to be, you know, when you are absent, there ought to be something that has to happen in order to get things back right again. And the question you have to ask yourself is, what would happen in my church community if I, if I didn't show up for a while? If I took myself out of it, what would happen? Would things crumble or would they just, would they just sail on? Would they just sail on? And some of us have to deal with this reality. Some of us have to deal with this reality. Some of you have wide skill sets. The Lord blessed me with a wide skill set. He blessed me with the ability to do a lot of stuff and to do it fairly well. And that's not nothing, anything that I can glory in or take pride in because that, that didn't come from me. That came from the Lord. So I have a lot of responsibility because the Lord has given me much. You're going to miss me when I'm gone. And that's not because I'm so awesome. It's because I understand that the Lord's given me a lot, so i got to give a lot. When I join something, man, when I make a friend, listen, you got, you got somebody that's going to be in trenches with you. you got somebody you can call at midnight. you got somebody you can count on. My resources are yours. My talents are yours. My wisdom and expertise are yours. My manpower is yours. I don't just go gathering lots of friends because I take my commitments too seriously. I don't just join myself to anything and everything because I take my commitments too seriously. Because I want to leave a hole if I should disappear. I want my employer to have to hire two people to do the work that I was doing. Does it make sense what I'm saying? What do we get when we get you? Do you get a bunch of excuses? Do we get a bunch of empty promises? Do you sign up on a membership form and say, yeah, I'll come, yeah, I'll give, yeah, I'll serve, and just act like nothing happened? I'm saying this all because none of this stuff that we're trying to do will work without a people that lean into this stuff. What do we get when we get you? Do we get people who read this mission and vision and get excited and say, yeah, I want to be a part of that? Yeah, I'm going to bring my stuff to that. I'm going to give my gifts to that. I'm going to give my manpower to that. I'm going to make sure that thing goes as long as I'm here. What do we get when we get you? What do we get? Oftentimes we don't get what we should get, which leaves us asking the question, what should we get when we get you? I've named this message a heart for the house. I think God calls us, us, calls us to pour our hearts into the community. And here's what a danger for lots of people, especially lots of people that wander into our doors. We get a number of people who are coming to faith again. This is their first faith experience. And they're like, man, this is awesome. Jesus is alive. He's real awesome. 
But the larger majority of people that come to South Suburban Vineyard Church are people who are coming back to faith. In other words, they've been sitting on their couch for a year, and the Lord's nudged them to get back in the game, and they've come to us, and they've re-engaged to us, and that's fantastic. Here's the problem with that, is that people tend to compare themselves to who they used to be rather than who they should be. So all of a sudden, to come to church once a month or twice a month, that's better than, you know, I was sitting on my couch for a whole year on Sunday morning. I'm doing a whole lot better than I used to, and that sort of mentality just sort of rocks us to sleep. It sort of rocks us to sleep. It lowers the bar on what God asked for us. Listen, I wasn't given anything two years ago. So, you know, just to throw a few coins in the play, listen, I'm doing way better than I used to do. I'm just telling you, that won't fly. No, you're adults. You can do whatever you want to. But I'm just talk, I'm talk, talking about God's standard, what he expects, what he requires. God says you didn't make the bar, so you don't get to lower it. God's standard for commitment, God's standard for engagement is his standard. You didn't make it, you don't get to lower it. And what God says is he wants you all in. He wants you all in. And this is why I say to people, listen, if if this is the church for you, fine. Listen, I know lots of preachers. I know lots of churches. I'll help you find one. I want you to plug in. I want you to go for it. I want you to go for it. But what should we get when we get you? What should your church get when they get you? They should get your heart. And the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your heart, I'm sorry, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They say, where is my heart? Well, just look where you're you're putting your funds, where you're you're putting your treasure. That's where your heart is. Listen, you don't have to convince me about what what you're into. Just show me your calendar and show me your, your your bank statement, your credit card statement. I'll tell you what you're into. I'll tell you where your heart is. I'll tell you where your devotions lie. Because where we put our treasure, where we put our stuff, where we put our resource is what's significant and what's important to us. Now, I knew I wouldn't get a whole bunch of amens today. I had my wife say it a couple times to me at home just because I knew it would be a little quiet in here today. (laughs) But I'm okay with that because I didn't come to get on your Christmas list today. I came to help you get to the place where you need to be and help us get to the place where God called us to be. You probably know already that I'm not really looking at your faces in the grimace right now. I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere, okay? This stuff is legit. What do we get? What should we get when we get you? We should get your heart because when we get your heart, we get your stuff. The kingdom gets your stuff. What's your stuff? Time, talent, and treasure. Your time. Listen, this is one of the most valuable commodities, uh, assets that I have right now. My time. I don't have a whole lot of it. But you know what? My time is budgeted based on what the kingdom needs. I didn't say the church, because sometimes we can confuse that. I'm talking about what the kingdom needs. I'm a kingdom guy. I'm a vineyard guy, but the vineyard blows up. I'm a kingdom guy. And my life gets centered around the kingdom of God. And on those bases, I determine what I do with my time. I do with my time. And one of the great things about Christian community is that we're a sort of one-stop shop for facilitating all these kingdom activity, whether it be worship service, whether it be Bible studies, whether it be outreaches, whether it be ministry to the poor. We, that's one of my jobs is to facilitate that so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel and just wonder, well, well how am I going to minister to the poor today? Or what, what, do I need to do, you know, build a worship altar in my, you know, living room? No, this is what we do. We facilitate worship and things of the kingdom such that all people have to do is come here and get plug into what we're doing. 
That's a fantastic thing about a church. There's an organization, a group of people that are doing all the stuff, at least they should be doing the stuff that the kingdom needs done. And they come in and they say, listen, man, I want to plug into that. And one of the main things it requires is individual's time. What are you giving your time to? Are you devoting your time to the cause of the kingdom? And because this is your tribe and this is your clan, are you devoting your time, sacrificially so, to this particular community of faith? This is where you call your home. Are you giving your time to it? Are you giving your talent? God has given all of us something to do, something that we do reasonably well. And I expected that God didn't just give you those talents so you can make lots of money or so people can walk around saying, that person sure is talented. God gave you those gifts. He gave you those abilities to sow into the kingdom, to sow into the work of the ministry so that others, not just yourself, can be blessed. Your talent, what are you doing with it? So because what you do with your talent, what you do with your time, that's where your heart is. And if somebody, if you were just to follow a trail and you would discover where your talent goes and you would discover where your time goes, you would find that your heart's in the wrong place, some of us. It's in, it's in a very wrong, very bad place. And finally, our, our treasure, your money, your resource. People get real nervous when you start talking about money. And we understand that. It's why we don't talk about money all the time. We have a set time throughout the year where we really dig into money and stewardship, and we take an offering after every service, and we don't do it auction style. Can I get 500 over here? Can I get 200 over here? Hey, you know, 700 people in here that got $500 seat. We don't do that around here. I don't see that in the scripture. But I'm not scared to talk about money because I'm not inviting you to give to the pastor's appreciation fund or the pastor's, you know, alligator shoe fund or the Cadillac fund. I'm not inviting you to give to that. I'm inviting you to sow into what God is doing here. And so that we remove any doubt about what's going on with the money, we give you an annual financial snapshot that shows you what every, every, every penny went. Because when I stand up here and say, I want you to give, I want you to know where your money's going. It's going to the kingdom work. It's going to build out what, we, what we've set our, our feet to here. But where are your resources? Some of you, again, have committed. In the membership class, you say, listen, I'm on, I'm on a tithe. I'm going to give. I'm going to give to this. I'm excited about this. And some of us have forgotten about that. And we really, really need to examine that. It's a matter of honesty and integrity. You said, you said you'd do it. We've counted on that. We make plans based on that. Where's your treasure? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And some of us have made it so that our treasure is only spent on us. Listen, that means you're devoted to you. That means you're into you. That means you're the most important thing because every trail of your stuff leads back to you. There's a problem with that. That needs examining. There's no condemnation there, but it needs to be examined. Time, talent, treasure, that's what we should get when we get you. And that's what should be pressed in to the kingdom as you devote yourself to God's stuff. Can I have a heart for the house? That's what it should look like. So what's the big picture? Worship team, you can come up. Big picture is this. Uh, Listen, if we're going to get anywhere, if we're going to have any measure of success building what God called us to build, we're going to have to lean into this stuff. We're going to have to develop a heart for this house. And like I said, if you're visiting today and if you go to another church, this, this is, this, take this to where you go to church and plug in 
tell your pastor, you know, he just sent me a thank you card or something because this one's on the house. But get, in, get it mixed up in this. So I just did three things for you to remember uh, as to how to apply this. The first one is to show up. First is to show up. Listen, nothing happens if you don't show up. I don't care how much money we've raised. I don't care how nice the building is or how great the facility is or how great our marketing and how good the slides look. Listen, nothing happens if we don't show up. And some of us really have a problem with showing up. And some of you may, you know, have a, not have a problem with showing up, and you, eventually you'll get here. Maybe your deal is punctuality. Maybe your deal is just a lackadaisical approach to showing up. Maybe some of you, you've just, you decide what you come to based on whether or not you want, you know, you get something out of it or not. You haven't considered, listen, they need me there so that maybe I, I need to encourage somebody today as opposed to being encouraged. Maybe they need some help setting up. Maybe they need some help tearing down. Maybe there's going to be somebody there that nobody else connects with but me and my story. Maybe I just need to reroute my thinking so that it's not about me. It's not about what I can get. And so we show up. And part of showing up, it says, what are we doing today? Notice that we. What are we doing today? This is my church. This is my tribe. We got an outreach. I wouldn't miss it unless somebody's dead or dying. The, the church, they're meeting for worship, man, I wouldn't miss it. Now, again, we're not Sunday Christians, so we're not just like, whoa, everybody needs to be here every Sunday. I mean, we know you have stuff to do. People take vacations. Don't mishear me on this. I'm saying there ought to be, just, there ought to be a good reason for you to sit at home on a Sunday morning. There ought to be a good reason for you to miss out on some of the essential things that we do as a body of believers. There ought to be a good reason. If you don't, believe with, you, don't, you don't believe in that, you don't subscribe to that, that's fine. I, I can't convince you, but I'm just going to say it. I'll be a good reason. We've got to show up. We've got to step up. And once you show up, you step up. You know what? New people and guests and visitors, people that are checking us out, they sort of hang toward the back, sometimes physically, but just kind of, you know, figuratively speaking, they sort of hang toward the back. They're just sort of checking things out. That's what visitors do. That's what new people do. They check things out. But if you've decided that this is your tribe, this is your clan, this is where you're going to plant deep roots, then just come forward. Lean into this thing. Sign up for something. Say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sow my time. I'm going to sow my talent. I'm going to sow my treasure. I'm going to step up. I'm going to be, you know, to the point where if I, if I removed myself from this thing, I'm going to be missed because I'm making a contribution. Step up and finally dig deep. Dig deep. Dig deep. Contribution to community life, it, it, it ought to cost you something. It ought to cost you something. Again, we're not trying to hustle your money and stuff like that, but listen, it ought to cost you something. And let me tell you, there's no greater indication of a person's level of buy-in than their contributions. When, I'm look, when somebody approaches me and says, hey, I want to lead worship, or hey, I want to be a leader, or hey, I want to lead a small group, or hey, I want to do this, that, and the other, you know the first thing I do? I go to my computer and I look up the giving records. Now, I know you've been conditioned to think that all preachers are greedy and all the churches want money, but listen to me when I say this. There's no greater indication of how, how much you've bought in to Christian community than your giving. And I'm not necessarily talking about amounts because there's some people that don't have any income at all. And their offering envelopes has 50 cents in it or a dollar because that's a tithe of what they brought in. 
So no, we're not catering toward the big givers here. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, have you internalized the fact that generosity is an essential quality of the Christian believer? Because there's no greater indication, generally speaking. So what it means to really lean into this and what it really means to take this seriously is to dig deep and to say, this, this place that I call my home, this place, it takes money to run this to pay staff and to buy resources and to do outreach and to bless this community like we want to bless it, it takes resources. And it not only takes financial resources, but it takes my time and my energy. I'm going to contribute. I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to sow into this in a way that costs me something. I'm going to sow into this thing sacrificially because it's important, because it's necessary. I'm going to sow into kingdom because I have a heart for the house. These are my people. This is my church. We're doing this thing for the Lord. We're doing this. So show up, step up, and dig deep. Listen, I want us all to have a heart for the house. I really do. I really feel like that will just kick the doors open in this place. Kick the doors open in this place. And the only question I have for you today after all of this is, is who's with me? Who's with me? I don't mean who's with me in the sense that you, hey, come along with the pastor and, you know, be my buddy. I mean, who's with where I'm headed with this church? Lord gave us a vision. He gave us a mission. And all we've been doing along the way is collecting people who read that and just say, man, I can't stay away from that. I got to give myself to that. I want a piece of that. Who's with me today? Who's with me? And what I mean by that is, man, if you're with me, then come on. If you're already with me, just just keep moving. If you've been falling behind, listen, pick your stuff up and let's roll, man, because we got stuff to do, man. What would it look like if we took this seriously? My time is up. What what would it look like, man, if we took this seriously? How might this community just be benefited by people who are just absolutely crazy about loving God and his people? How might we benefit if we weren't overly concerned about what slice of the pie we get and how much notoriety we got and we just selflessly serving other people? What might this look like? What might it look like if every person that called this place home came every Sunday such that when somebody else walked in the door, they said, man, this place is happening. This place is happening. The spirit is here. Listen, I preach better when there's more people here. The worship band plays better. There's more energy in the room. There's more to draw off of. There's a greater expectation in the room, man. When you show up, when you say, these are my people. So I'm asking you to come and wipe my head and carry my briefcase. I'm asking you, let's get busy with the kingdom stuff. Let's develop a heart for this house. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the truth. Thank you for this bold challenge that you've issued this morning, Lord. And I pray that, I just pray against any spirit of offense, anything that would just take anything that I said and try to, you know, uh, uh, have any offense tied to it, Father. I just pray that people will receive this as nothing other than the truth. Lord, I pray that it would pierce our hearts and that it would encourage those that are on the right path and it would challenge those that are stagnant, Father, to be the people you've called us to be. Lord, would you grow in us, would you nurture in us a heart for this house? and a great care and concern for your people. And Lord, may we see the fruit that that early church saw. May we live out the mission and vision. May we be the people, God, that you've called us to be. We thank you in advance for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.